So today, we want to take this moment to honor mothers. And so I, I just want to ask you, um, you know, help me do that. Today we have a gift for all the mothers who are here, and we pray that God will give you the comfort and the grace that you need on this special day. Now, if you will, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 6, and this is where Jesus goes back home. He goes to his hometown, and in this story, they don't all assemble at Main Street and beat a drum and applaud this new star of Israel. Their primary response to Jesus, as we read through this passage, I mean, these are the people that grew up with him. These are the people that have known him for 30 years. Their primary response to him is they were offended. They were offended at him. Have you ever been offended at God? I think the truth for all of us is, yeah. You know, our primary disposition toward God is not an openness. In fact, as you read through the Gospels and, and the, the, the New Testament, you see that we all begin as enemies of God. We're suspicious of God. We're not welcome, welcoming him as he comes in. We, we want to keep him a little bit at arm's length. Because we don't want him to take over because we're just not sure. Well, I read a story about a couple who went through some exceedingly difficult times. And that's one reason why we get offended at God. Because we live in a broken, fallen world where lots of disappointments and difficulties are part of what we feel. And by the way, if you read through the life of Jesus... Jesus experienced the same kind of difficulties and hardships and rejections. and His life wasn't easy. It wasn't as good as maybe you, th you think it should have been if you were the son of God. You see, he became one of us. And everything we experience, he experienced. But he didn't ever sin. He was the best man Nazareth had ever seen. But when he comes back, they're offended by him. In 1921, Davin Svea Flood went with her two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa to what was then called the Belgian Congo. This missionary couple met up with another missionary couple, the Ericsons. They also were from uh, Sweden. And God led them to go in Belgium Congo to a very remote village ca called Indolora. Dolora. Uh, and it was a huge step of faith for them, if you can just imagine. And when they got there, they were not welcomed by the chief. In fact, they were re rebuffed. And the chief said, you can't come into the village because he was afraid that them coming into the village might offend or upset the local gods. And so he here they are to try to have conversations with the people of this village. And they weren't even allowed to be with them. So what they did is they found a place um, up the mountain, about a half a mile away, and they made their own mud huts, and that's where they were going to stay. And they prayed all the time for a spiritual breakthrough, for an opportunity to interact with these people, but none came. None came, except for the chieftain allowed one little boy to go up to them and to sell them chickens and eggs 
And that was the only interaction they had. Svea Flood was a tiny woman, about four foot eight inches tall, and she decided, well, if the only African she could talk to was this little boy, she was going to tell him the story of Jesus, and she was going to do her best to explain the great plan of God to come and rescue the world. And you know what? She succeeded, and this little boy heard the message of Jesus, and he accepted Jesus. In the meantime, malaria that was rampant in the area began to attack the, the, the members of their tiny little missionary community, the two couples and, and at least the one son. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. And in the middle of all of this, the, the one couple said, uh, we, we, we've endured enough from this malaria. We're going to leave here and we're going to return to the missionary central state station. But David and Svea Flood remained in that village trying all they could to carry out the mission. And then Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of this primitive wilderness. And when the time came to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to come and help. And a little girl was born, and they named her Ina. The delivery was exhausted. Svea Flood was still recovering from bouts of malaria, and after 17 days, she died. When she died, something snapped inside of her husband, David. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then went back down the mountain with his children to the mission station. Giving baby Ina to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of a baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. This man went from missionary, I'm telling you what, to just walking away from God because he was so offended. Within eight months, both of the Ericsons died of some other unknown disease, and the baby Ina was given to another missionary couple that was there, and they accepted her. And they were an American couple, and they decided to change her name to Aggie. They took her back to the States when she was three. And this family lived uh, in the United States and decided that they would no longer be missionaries, but they would be involved in pastoral ministries in South Dakota because they knew the reality of having an adopted child and trying to go overseas. And they were afraid that the, all of the legalities would make it so that they couldn't have her anymore. And they loved her too much for this to happen. So Aggie grew up went to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis where she met and married Dewey Hurst. Years passed, the Hurst enjoyed a great and fruitful ministry. Uh, they had a daughter and then a son. And in time, um, her husband became the president of a college in Seattle. And when they got to Seattle, she was so surprised to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day... She found a Swedish religious magazine in her mailbox. She had no idea who sent it. And of course, she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, a photo suddenly caught her attention and stopped her cold. There in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross. And the cross had the words, Svea Flood. 
was her mother. She immediately got in the car and went to find another faculty member she knew who could translate the article because she couldn't understand what it said. And so when she shared the magazine, this, this is the summary. It's about a mis missionaries who went to Indolora, Africa long ago. A baby was born. The young mother died. A little African boy uh, accepted Jesus Christ. And when he grew up, he finally persuaded the chief in his little village to allow him to build a school and educate the people of his village. And during that time, uh, he saw many of the children come to Christ, and then they went out and told their parents who also came to Christ. Even the chief became a follower of Jesus. Hundreds of people came to know Jesus in that little village because of David and Savea's blood. And Aggie was just elated. A few years later, as a gift to the couple, they were given a vacation in Sweden, and she was anxious to go and try to find her birth father. David Flood was an old man now. He had remarried and fathered four more children and had lived a generally dissipated life full of alcohol and despair. He had recently suffered a stroke. Still better, he had one rule in his family, never mention the name God. God took everything from me. So after an emotional reunion and meeting with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of her longing to see her father, and they all hesitated. And then they said, you can talk to him, but he's very ill now. You need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Angie walked into the squalid apartment, which had liquor bottles thrown everywhere, and she slowly approached her 73-year-old father lying on a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tremulously. He turned. And he began to cry, Aina, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently into her arms. God took good care of me. Her father instantly stiffened and his tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his, 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 to face the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted, Papa. I've got a marvelous story to tell you. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted in his heart kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 people serving the Lord because of your faithfulness to follow the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you or abandoned you. The old father turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He slowly began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he came back to the God he had resented for so many years. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. And a few weeks after Aggie and her husband returned to the States, David Flood died. Now I tell you that story because I'm hoping it will give you the freedom to identify the times in your life when you've been offended at God. We all have the unanswered why questions. 
we don't see from the perspective of an eternal God who can see the beginning from the end. We don't see and appreciate the hidden agenda of God that only comes through suffering and difficulty. And we can be offended. But the key is, we don't have to take offense. We should honestly admit that we are offended. But we don't need to take offense and let that shut God out of our lives. Matthew 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at his teaching. First thing that we're going to notice is this. Jesus goes home. He's between 30 and 33 years old. And he finds these people and they've heard the stories of Jesus healing the sick and preaching and creating a powerful movement that is revolutionizing the people of Israel's understanding of who God is and how they can relate to him. But they don't welcome him back with great favor. They reject him. Jesus goes home. No red carpet is, is rolled out. There's no assembly on Main Street with the drum beating as they welcome and honor the hometown hero. No, his people are aloof. They are irritated with him. Jesus was the best man who ever lived in the city of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town of about 500 to 1,000 people. And everybody knows everybody in a town that little. If you come from a little town, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But instead of being happy for Jesus' great success, they turn against him. They had, to, they, they had to have hurt Jesus. I mean, now Jesus isn't unique in being hurt by your own family. Many people experience this. But they, 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 they were offended. Why? You know, the reason they were offended probably is because of his humility. Um, his disciples had gone with him. Jesus wanted his disciples to experience this moment because they too would be rejected and misunderstood. I mean, doing the will of God and proclaiming the gospel is not an easy thing. I had a conversation with a man. He and I both shared the same experience of having had open heart surgery, and I've been waiting so long to try i've invited him to church so many times and i talked to him and he was reviewing you know he brought it up and how are you doing i'm doing fine how are you i'm doing fine i says you know he says you know it's kind of scary what they did to us i says yeah it is he says i once tried to google open heart surgery and after a few seconds he says i i couldn't watch it anymore i turned it off i says i get it i don't even want to understand it i don't even i don't know and then I, and I said to him, well, I'm glad we're both doing good, but I want to ask you a question. When the time comes for us to die, for you to die, do 
you know you're going to be okay. And he said, well, you know, I, when I was a kid, I used to accompany my mother to church every now and then. And I said, no, no, but what I'm saying is that, do, I mean, do you know what's going to happen to you? I said, actually, I've got a book. I'm talking about this red book over here that y'all can help yourselves to. In, in the first section, it just walks through what the Bible says about being able to know that you have eternal life. I'd be willing to share it with you. Immediately, he clammed up. And he says, uh, no, I'm not ready for that. And our conversation was over. And I walked away so sad. These people were offended at Jesus. Um, you know, the great thing as Jesus came with his disciples is that he, one thing he did prove was that, um, you know, Jesus was not cliquish. He wasn't all about just his hometown people. You know, there's a lot of people like that. Oh, you're from Springfield. Hey, yay, Springfield. We love everybody from Springfield. Kansas City, not so much. St. Louis, ah. Okay, you, you know those kind of people, right? Maybe you are that person. God bless you. Um, hope you make it through. Um, but the amazing thing as the disciples were with him, was that they discovered that Jesus' closeness was, was not based upon previous shared history, but on the present reality of their relationship with Jesus. Um, I think one of the most incredible things I witness in life is how the Holy Spirit comes to people. I'm, I'm going to just say our baseline is not maybe on a surface level. We kind of like God, but we don't want him too close. Okay, you get what I'm saying? That's where we all start. That's you and me. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and he opens up our understanding, and he enlightens us. Like, You know, when I was four years old, watching the funeral of President John F. Kennedy, this happened to me. I'm watching the funeral. I have questions about life and death and where you go after you die. I go to my mom and I ask her, where is the president now that he is dead? And she says, well, you know, and she kind of paraphrased John 3, 16. It, it, the Bible says that if, if you accept Jesus as your savior and believe that he went to a cross to pay for your sin and you ask for forgiveness and invite him into your life, he will come into your life and you'll never perish. But if you don't, you will perish. And I became so focused on that what four-year-old has those kind of thoughts i mean i look back now and i realize i didn't make that up on my own the holy spirit of god was speaking to me actually it's the first time in my life when i felt like that god was speaking to me i didn't know i wouldn't have told you that god was speaking to me but i look back now and these are not conclusions of a four-year-old i was so moved and so convicted in that moment, I actually went to my bedroom all alone. I'm four years old. What a great theologian I must have been, right? But I just knew enough to listen to what God was saying. And I knelt down beside my bed and I said, Dear God, I know I have sinned and I believe Jesus. You went to a cross to pay for our sin. And I need you to forgive me. And I want you to come into my life and take me to heaven when I die. Amen. And something happened in my life. And I felt the presence of God. And I didn't fully understand it but in that moment. But as I grow older, the more I look back and I realize that Jesus 
personally clean. It's broken. actually feel as close to Jesus as the disciples did. Because the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the word of God, the gospel, and the church is an ongoing present reality that is amazing. When the Sabbath, verse 2, when the Sabbath came, they began, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. And they said this, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So Jesus gets up and he speaks in the synagogue. And their first re response was they were astonished at his teaching. Oh my goodness. Jesus, he's incredible. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you sense when he speaks what's going on? I mean, something's going on here. And then it's as if they begin to talk themselves out of the moment. And they begin to process this. And they say, well, wait a minute. Where does he get all this wisdom? We know this guy's never been to rabbi school. I mean, we've known him since he was a little boy. Um, he's ordinary like us. His disciples are ordinary. Uh, what is going on here? And they couldn't figure it out. And so what they did is they diminished Jesus. They said, we know his mother, and we know his brothers. They named the four brothers and sisters, so there must have been at least six kids after Jesus. Now, one thing that's very interesting that scholars point out here is this. He is the son of Mary. In a patriarchal society, you do not ever call someone the son of the mother. It's always the son of the father. And this is Jesus' hometown, and all these people remember they remembered that, oh, um, G Joseph brought Mary into his house as his wife. And they all can count for the magic number nine. You know what I'm talking about. And Jesus was born before that number. And they all were astonished. Now we know. That James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon are the sons of Joseph. Jesus, the son of Mary. Jesus actually has no identity because none of us are sure who his father is. But they were offended and hurt. You know, one of the reasons why a prophet is not with, with honor in his own house and that they said this toward Jesus was that um, how could he be God? We know where he comes from. We know who he is. Just a thought. Sometimes we're inclined to believe what the celebrity pastor who flies in on his private jet and goes to a stadium of thousands of people says. 
but we neglect to hear the voice of God that will come through your wife who sits right beside you or your Sunday school teacher or the people in your Bible study in your small group. They were offended. Number three, believing in God and trusting in God is difficult and it's always difficult. It's always difficult. You're going through a hard time and wonder what God is doing. You don't really understand. And the truth is that most of the things that are confusing and difficult to understand, we will have to wait till we get to eternity to really fully understand what God is doing. You know, God is willing to let us endure difficulty to accomplish his purposes for the glory of God and the salvation of people around us. We say, God, I, I, I want you in my life, but I mean, I still want to be in control. So people sit in church and, you know, people are often really glad to believe in God, but to take it from theory to trusting and surrendering. We're not as quick to do that. The eternal son of God humbled himself. Why? Because one of the primary characteristics of this God who created all things, it's amazing, is humility. Philippians 4. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus knew he was God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was God most high, active in creation, with all power, all knowledge. The angels obeyed him, and then he became a man. And he became not, he was an ordinary man. There was no silver spoon in his mouth. There was no special birth. There was no rich man with power and prestige. That's not who he was. He became an ordinary man living in an ordinary village called Nazareth, doing an ordinary job. He is called a carpenter with brothers and sisters, and they were offended with Jesus because how could he be God? When he began his ministry, his power and his glory began to shine out. And Jesus began to display the power of God and proclaim the truth. Heal the sick and feed the, the hungry and help those. He challenged the religious leaders of his day. I mean, this was a lot to process. And they defaulted by just going ahead and being offended. You know, the truth is that we human beings... We are broken. And our default response is not to receive God, but to reject him. I mean, we can reject the best man who ever lived, who comes to us in his goodness and grace, his mercy and love. And we have this tendency, uh, when God comes to save us, to say, to say no. We must recognize this tendency in us to resist God so that we can consciously decide to open ourselves up to him. 
John 1 describes what was going on. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God or the children of God to those who believe in his name. He doesn't promise us a life without suffering or pain. And often we push God away and his own people did. And you know what he did? He loved them anyway. And after the resurrection, he appeared to James, his brother. And two, he, he didn't give up on them. He keeps coming back. And James wrote a book of the New Testament, and his other brother Jude wrote a book of the New Testament. And Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm quoting Hebrews 12 too, but it begins with this, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him was willing to endure the cross and despise the shame. And he's now sat down at the right hand of the Father. What is the joy set before him? You know what the joy is? It's you and me. It's you and me. It is his great joy to redeem us, to save us. When we experience hardships and pain and the loss of life, it is so easy for us to default to the emotion of anger and frustration with God you know, we lie to people. I mean, people lie to us, and we lie to other people. People betray us. We betray others. People let us down, and then we let other people down, and sin begins to creep into our lives, and as it spreads what it does, it just makes us miserable. I mean, we begin to start shutting down. Nothing's working. It erodes our peace. We die before we die, and when God shows up, that tendency to resist him leads us to push him away with an attitude. And we conclude that God is not all that involved in our life because bad things are happening. My life is so full of pain and shame and disappointment. And God says, I know. But I'm here. And I love you. Every time that happens, we come to a decision point. Will we be angry and push him away? Will we keep him as a theory? Or will we open up our hearts and receive him? This is the most amazing story known to man a God who would become a man who would endure suffering and difficulty, rejection, pain the cross this, and offer an amazing hope and forgiveness of sin, a transformed life, supernatural working of the Holy Spirit to bring us love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, all the gifts from God and he seeks to be involved in our lives now and to give us a resurrection. This is the story. 
but I think we make a decision because sometimes our hearts are so broken. We're so confused and so angry. And then someone offers us such magnificent hope that is going to be freely given, and we're afraid to trust. We're afraid to say yes because we can't stand one more disappointment. That's the decision point. Will we respond with faith? Will we just say, okay, God, I will receive you. I will not go back. This sounds too good to be true. But it is exactly what it is. The free gift of God who loves so well and faithful who will be with us every day of our life. Jesus was a prophet without honor. They rejected him. And his disciples begin to see, wow, this is not going to be an easy road. But we have a God who has asked us to come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today, he's willing to give us rest. Do you? Any chance right now? You're sensing the Holy Spirit saying to you, Receive this rest. This is so important. It's better than life. It's more than good enough. Will you bow your heads, please? You know, it's Mother's Day, the greatest gift you could ever receive if you're a mother is the salvation that comes through Jesus. And you might say, but it's so hard for me. I've endured so much. I've been disappointed so often. I don't know if he really could come and save me. But I'm here to tell you, he's invited. You just have to say yes.